welcome to Future Out Loud from the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at Arizona State University. I'm Heather Ross. Together with Andrew Maynard, we bring you conversations with experts on and off campus where we think out loud about our collective future. In today's episode, Andrew and I talked with our good friend and cybersecurity collaborator, Adam Dupay. Adam, everyone will know, who's listened to a previous Future Out Loud episode about cybersecurity, is our go-to guru for all things related to cybersecurity. And today, we talked about cybersecurity and the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, specifically with regard to the recent uh, problems that St. Jude Medical has been having related to threats against its remote monitoring uh, capacity and system for implanted cardiac devices. Now, some of you may know that that's actually my professional bailiwick. Uh, so I was a pretty fired up about this conversation, and I hope that as you listen to it, you are a little bit fired up too. This was a really fascinating conversation and we always, of course, love having Adam with us. I should mention, and we talk about this right at the beginning, that our other good cybersecurity friend, Jamie Winterton, was not able to join us for this podcast episode. So we missed her, we acknowledged her, and she'll be back with us in the very, very near future. Before we begin, as always, thank you for listening to Future Out Loud. We would love to have you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you download your fine and favorite podcasts. We would also love to hear what you think about Future Out Loud and let us know if you have recommendations for future guests or topics that we should tackle. You can tweet at us at Future Out Loud or you can find us on Facebook at Future Out Loud. If you are in a place like iTunes and wanted to leave us a review or a rating, you can certainly do that. And you can also tell your friends and colleagues about the Future Out Loud podcast because we would love to hear from them as well. Thank you so much for listening. And now on with Adam Dupay and the FDA and cybersecurity. Hi, Adam. Hi, Heather. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Okay, so I have brought us together today, and I should, um, we're gathered here today. At your um, shrine. Yeah, yes. well, right, the shrine to podcasting. And I think we should take a moment to recognize that Jamie Winterton is not with us today. She is busy with the Department of Homeland Security. She has not been detained. I can confirm that. Um, but that is yeah. all I can confirm at this time. Um, <laughs> so I brought you here today because... Last week, the FDA issued, that's the, the Food and Drug Administration, issued a letter to St. Jude Medical related to cybersecurity issues with its remote monitoring systems for implanted cardiac devices, being pacemakers and defibrillators. And we'll talk about this for just a minute because I should not presume that everybody in the 
podcast listening world is as up to date with this as I am because of my practice. You, you, you live and breathe this. I do yes. live and breathe it. Um, yes, and it's a messy place, and it's been a very messy, increasingly messy place um, in ways that we didn't know that it ever would be messy. Um, so several months ago, a company called, uh, aptly enough, Muddy Waters, um, made public that there were cybersecurity risks in St. Jude's systems for remote monitoring of cardiac devices. So, so just to be clear, these are devices that are implanted inside the body that Correct. have got internet connectivity and are, and are vital for life, for health? They, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yes. They can be life-sustaining. Mm -hmm. um, and they do they have internet connectivity? Yes, via radio frequency signaling to uh, like a relay station okay, that, that is correct. Correct. Right. So they don't have a direct URL. That's right. So they into, but there's a yet. box. Right. Yes. They yes. don't like yes. make the and old boxes, like the relay is expensive. Probably. Yeah, yes. it yes. is. It is, and they don't make like the AOL sound when they're you know <laughs> right. uploading. Yeah, yeah. I right. Still remember I, did. <laughs> I know it was a good sound. It was an exciting sound in the day. Um, so Muddy Waters said there's the cybersecurity risk. Well, the timing of that announcement was such that they were able to short St. Jude's stock as St. Jude was getting ready to be acquired by Abbott um, Medical to, and Adam, you $25 looked at billion $25 billion deal. Billion deal. Mm -hmm. So this was a big deal. As it turns out, while you know, maybe not something you would want to write home and tell your grandmother about um, in, you know, doing good in the world. This is totally legal. And as it turns out, there indeed was a cybersecurity risk. Well, since that time, the FDA has investigated and said, yes, there is a cybersecurity risk. The FDA does have a guidance that it's issued related to cybersecurity, which is pretty vague and um, it sets up fairly vague guidelines for a company's responsibility to address such issues mm -hmm. and demonstrate that it's addressed. So do patches. you know when that was released? Because I, we were talking earlier, I, FDA is, is not a cyber agency. They Presumably yeah. they haven't really had to deal with this until relatively recently. Well, it was released prior to this. That guidance has been out for, um, for a couple of years, right. I think. Right. Um, Adam is assiduously typing right now. Yeah, it's kind but of loud typing. But it's, uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, it, it's been out, it was out prior to this Muddy Waters okay, thing. But, so but, there was a guidance okay, available yes, to yeah. industry. Mm -hmm. And so the FDA investigated and said, yes, indeed, there's a risk and you must fix it within a span of, it's either three months or six months right. that the FDA says you have to demonstrate that you've fixed this. Mm -hmm. um, now, one of the things that we know about medical device software is that um, new iterations of software need to be approved. But I did look at this at the time mm -hmm. of the Muddy Waters thing, and Adam and I talked about yeah. this. And as it turns out, patches, security patches, don't need to go through that full FDA approval really? process, which is interesting, is interesting and raises yes. an interesting point. So that's yeah. interesting point one. Yep. And then fast forward now to this week or really last week um, the FDA sent a public letter to St. Jude and said you have failed to address the cybersecurity issues adequately 
P.S. You also have failed to deal with this other battery issue, which may cause, you know, threat to life. But that's, we'll, we'll put that aside. We're not talking about batteries today. Um, but they said you, you failed to address the cybersecurity issues and like now you're in trouble. Right. Now you're in big trouble. So, so just to be clear, people have already got these devices implanted. Oh, very do, much so. Do we know how many people are reliant on these devices? Oh, that's probably available. I mean, it's in the t well into the tens of thousands. Okay, so you got yeah. safe. That's safe. Yeah, safe so argument. Sorry, so we can say that from the patients that were the recall affected mm -hmm. four hundred thousand implanted devices. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. so right. That's just the ones they had to recall. Okay. For cyber uh, for cyber issues. Uh, no, no, this was oh, for this the, was the battery. Uh, the battery issues. Yeah. Oh right. So, okay. Yeah. So so let's say for sake of for the sake of argument, say there are tens of thousands of people mm -hmm. uh, with these devices in, mm -hmm. and so FDA are now saying that these are potentially compromisable. Somebody could do right. something to these devices that people rely on for right. their life. Exactly. Um, that could actually. Right. I refer you to season two of Homeland, <laughs> though that was a Medtronic implantable pacemaker. Spoilers for anyone. Who yeah, who right, didn't right. watch Homeland five years ago, or yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so, so, so what? I, lots of things intrigue me here. So I, let me let me ask one question. So I'm, I'm the naive person here. I'm the physicist, which means I know nothing about things which are squid GM biological. So <laughs> um, it's not true, but I, let's pretend it is. Um, so so these are implanted in people. They so are. so if the company was to do something to harden them or make them more secure, are mm -hmm. we talking about? the external box, or are we talking about them actually ripping these things out, twiddling with them, and putting them back in people's bodies? Ah, so they are quite programmable. The software can be dealt with using a radio frequency Okay, so you can reprogram relay. the thing that's stuck in somebody's Correct. chest. Correct, yes. Yeah, yeah. that's the question. Who, so, Who so, can, that's So right. even yeah. that raises a question. So mm -hmm. even though you said that the device itself isn't connected to the internet, somebody can still hijack those radio frequencies. Well, that's the concern. Depending on how the right. communication happens, yeah. exactly. And I should be clear, so with the cybersecurity issue, is that the concern, the hijacking of the radio frequencies, or is it the box that's then connected to the internet, or both? That is a good question. I think that it's both. I think so. Um, yeah. And the reason that I say that is because the there was originally when this came up, there was a, an assurance that really a hacker would have to be within a few meters of your okay. person in yeah. order for this to be really a credible so threat. And we like didn't RF. feel right. Yeah. But and so and that suggests that the it was at the device, the implanted device sure. itself. Mm -hmm. But now the FDA's letters suggesting that it's with the remote monitoring system, okay. which makes me think that it's with the box then that that relay box. Right, and so this may be very naive of me. So I'm looking at you, Adam. But if you've got a box there that is connected via radio frequency to the device and mm -hmm. somebody can hack into the box, surely they can then use that to control the, the RF connection. Of right. course. So you yes. think at a fundamental level, right? The, the box, if it's a relay, so you can make the communication between the box and the medical device secure. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you can do this in a way that's secure and so only the box and only the device can talk to each other. Right. That's assuming they're doing everything 100% correct. But right. you can mm -hmm. do this. Yes. So exactly. So that box is then has a web interface mm -hmm. or 
has another way. If somebody gets into that box, now they essentially have all the permissions of that box right. and can act and they can get whatever secret key is there or whatever is necessary right. to then talk to the device. So one of the things with these devices is that currently we cannot program devices remotely mm -hmm. from in a patient. The patient has to be like physically in the space and we have to use a programmer while we're in the same room with the patient in order to reprogram mm -hmm. the device for its function. Now we can reprogram the alerts on the device mm -hmm. remotely. However, every device, every cardiac device that is implanted in a patient has a tremendous amount of Trojan horse function. In, in its software. By design. By design, yes. So we know Explain that... Explain what that means. What that means is that really these devices could be reprogrammed remotely. Okay. They The way that they have been cleared by regulatory agencies like in the United States, the FDA has that function has not been cleared. So that function is not accessible by practitioners in the field. But it could be. So it's basically but lying it there dormant and it exactly. could be activated. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Okay. Right. You wouldn't just rip that out of every device that you sell, right? You Correct. Would, yeah. And because you want to, you understand that these devices last sometimes 10, 12 years mm -hmm. in a patient and you know what you're working on in your lab yeah. in wherever your lab is located, right? Um, you want to be able to make future software upgrades to currently implanted devices. Of course, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you've now painted a situation and the FDA have confirmed this, that you've got devices out there that are potentially hackable. Correct. Okay, so um, what are the options for dealing with this? And I'm, I'm trying to get my head around this. Mm -hmm. So I'm, this is, I'm guessing, still fairly early days of, of connected um, medical devices. Serious. Fairly. So it, it's, it's been We've been at this for better than 10 years now. Right. But, but, but it's relatively But, but early, I look at other yeah. technologies that are internet connected that have been around 5, 10 years. And those are quite often not that secure. Sure. Time. sure. So, so now we've got a growing issue where potentially people could use this mm -hmm. to harm mm -hmm. um, the people that these devices are, are a part of. Right. So first question is, is this still hypothetical or have there been any instances of people actually actively trying to hack these and using hacks? No reports that I'm aware okay. of. So we're still talking about a, a hypothetical risk Correct. Here. Do we have any ways of actually estimating the, the magnitude of the risk? So I mean, clearly this is a potential mm -hmm. risk. Um, but presumably we're still struggling to work out what the, the, the liability is here in terms of somebody actually using this. Yeah, I think that's tricky, right? Because yeah. especially if you try, I was just thinking about when you're talking about that, I was like, well, you can think about global risk, right? But if I have one of these installed, mm -hmm. all I care about is my risk. Well, right? see, that's, right. That, 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 mm -hmm. that's right, yes. I mean, so I, I have a good friend who talks about one in a million risks. And he says, well, if you're the person that's affected. If you're the one. <laughs> you don't you're the one. Yeah. You're, not, you're not winning the lottery. <laughs> right. Right. And, and that's what we say to patients all the time when we, you know, quote, consent patients for risky procedures. Mm -hmm. As we say, you know, listen, it's a one in a thousand risk of this terrible thing happening. So you really shouldn't worry. However, we need to acknowledge that if you're that one, then for you, it was 100%. That's, yes. that's yeah. exactly yeah. it. Yes. So yeah. that's the kind of, you know, God, you want to talk about risk. That's the kind of calculus that we, I mean, we deal with that every day right. as clinicians. Right. Um, 
you know, my question is understanding as Adam does and Andrew and I are coming along behind, um, what is the nature of cybersecurity and cyber sec and security risk? Yeah. Is it reasonable for, at a regulatory level, is it reasonable to expect basically what the FDA asked of St. Jude in their letter that St. Jude should be out in front of all possible cybersecurity yeah. risks on its so software? I think this is, so I think this is a good, a really good point, and it's something that I was struck. So when we were reading the, um, this kind of uh, harkens back to always reading the original source, right? So mm -hmm. we read some news articles about this, and you can see that one, the Star Tribune is saying that on cybersecurity, the letter said that the company failed to prove that it made sure a recent software patch could fix potential vulnerabilities mm -hmm. before rolling it out to the public, which is true in the letter, but the letter also states a lot of what they're talking about is process, mm -hmm. and the, the process that they have in place is not sufficient to mitigate the risks. Right, right. so, so I, it's, it's not the device, it's the process they Exactly, yes. because I think mm -hmm. that's what we get to, is, is that's the way to look at all kinds of managing that's risks, right. Right. cybersecurity that's risks right. in particular, right? Mm -hmm. What are what are everything that you have in place to make sure that this type of thing doesn't happen again? Yep. And a lot of their letter spends time saying, "Hey, you didn't either didn't even follow your own process, right? Mm -hmm. Which is mm -hmm. really bad." And then they say specifically why. So there's a really interesting part in here where they said that they they're testing procedures. So they they verified that the test the network ports opened with an authorized interface. That was the test. Mm -hmm. But they said your testing, and I'm quoting from the letter, your testing procedures did not require full verification to ensure the network ports would not open on an unauthorized interface. Right. Mm -hmm. right? So making sure, so doing that negative security testing, mm -hmm. which, yeah, essentially they're basically calling them out and saying that, yeah, you may be tested for functionality, but you're not testing for security. Right. Okay. They didn't do full due diligence. Exactly. Yeah. Now, is that, I'm, and is that something that, like, your freshmen know that you're supposed to do? My freshmen, no. The freshman computer scientists, absolutely not. Oh, so okay. okay. A lot of, even up to graduating, you know, senior computer mm -hmm. scientists, even people that have been, I mean, so at, at Microsoft, they actually had two different jobs. They had a software uh, developer engineer, mm -hmm. so I used to work at Microsoft as a full-time developer for a year, and then they have SDETs, which is software developer engineer in test. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they weren't just, you know, click through things to test. Mm -hmm. They created test cases and they really took this break it approach to software. Uh -huh. And for me as a developer, especially a new developer, it, it opened my mind to things that, right. know, I got bug reports that said, hey, that, that uh, feature you were working on worked, except if you had two monitors and you were using the second monitor. <laughs> Right. Like, it's like as a developer, yeah, yeah, it'd be something that I wouldn't think of, but it but was somebody's true, and it was it. correct, yes. right? Okay. Yes. And this is part of why my big push is to try to get uh, security and cybersecurity education to all CS students, mm -hmm. because they don't know what they don't know. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. And right. they don't know that they should be thinking about these things or testing things in mm -hmm. this way, and so you really need to teach this mindset. So, okay. so it's it's really interesting looking at that from the risk perspective mm -hmm. that I take. Mm -hmm. So I, I talk a lot about if you're developing something new, think about sort of future eventualities mm -hmm. from the get-go so you can actually sort of build in safeguards against those. Right. Exactly the same idea. Before it's too late, mm -hmm. you actually sort mm -hmm. of build things or design things so that they're going to be as safe as possible in the future. And that was exactly yeah. what the FDA mm -hmm. accused um, 
St. Jude of doing. They said uh, one of the things they point out is failure to ensure that design verification shall conform to the design output uh, that meets the design input requirements. So basically they're saying that, hey, you, yeah. you designed this thing, but you didn't really have any process in place mm -hmm. to ensure that it it matched that valid, that they yeah. verified that it validated. Right. That, so, so, right. Is, yes. so, is one, <laughs> so is one takeaway from this that at the moment with medical devices, the assurance of, of safety or cyber safety is following a set process? And is the assumption that if you follow the process, you're going to have an acceptably safe device, or is it more complex than that? Well, and if that if that's true, part B, is there a standard, an industry standard process that, like, is that even a thing? Right, or does everybody make it up from scratch right. with every device? Right. Yes. Great questions. Awesome. Th so <laughs> there's definitely. So I'll say that there's uh, been work. There is, and we're getting to a place. So there's the the, um, the thing that comes to my mind is the secure software development lifecycle, which was created by Microsoft. So Microsoft in the early 2000s had huge problems. I don't know if you remember about the Melissa virus or the slammer worm, right. all right. of these email propagations. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. You know, they were under huge scrutiny. So Bill Gates basically wrote a memo to the whole company that says, hey, we need to get serious about security. Mm -hmm. So they developed this way of developing software, exactly what we were talking right. about. So you go through the design, you think adversarially, you do risk analysis on the design. Mm -hmm. And so you can try to work through any issues there, but you incorporate this life cycle throughout the software development right. phases. Right. Um, that's one that I know of. I'm sure there are others at this point mm -hmm. that I'm not yeah. aware of. Um, so yeah, so that's something that I think is incredibly interesting and mm -hmm. is probably still an evolving Yeah, field. and then of course, to me, what gets doubly interesting is where are your, your standards? So you can imagine one level of, of standards and mm -hmm. protocols mm -hmm. if you're, say, developing um, software for a laptop. Mm -hmm. Completely mm -hmm. different set of standards if somebody's life depends on, on the software. Absolutely, um, and we have good, we have like standard practices mm -hmm. for manufacturing hardware, right, medical right, devices. Right. I think there are somewhat more flexible standard practices for software, yeah. but not on the security. So, and, and this is what's sort of going through my mind. So, so with the FDA, if you're looking at say, will a drug harm you, will there mm -hmm. be, um, adverse side effects mm -hmm. that we're not mm -hmm. willing to accept with a drug, or is a medical device gonna harm your health? Mm -hmm. We have ways of both evaluating the risk there and deciding what's acceptable. So when right. it comes to, to harm, unintended harm, mm -hmm. we always have a level of risk that we say is offset by the benefits That's we right. get from this. Mm -hmm. But security to me is, different to this because mm -hmm. that depends on malicious intent. This isn't just some sort of random thing that's likely to happen. Right. This is somebody intentionally deciding that they're going to take over this thing and do and this something. This actually is one of the core things that makes security so difficult. Yes. So when you, whenever I talk to and I think about uh, embedded devices, hardware mm -hmm. devices, industrial control systems, mm -hmm. defibrillators, you know, all of these kinds of things, right? So we, we think about they've they're designed to be robust, mm -hmm. right? Like you said, they test the hardware, they make sure it operates within certain temperature ranges, yep. it operates in certain, you know, you can shake it for mm -hmm. a long time to see the wear and tear on the physical devices. Yep. 
there the problem is that assumes this kind of random you know distribution right. of mm -hmm, events mm -hmm. happening yep. whereas security testing is all about adversarial so i have full mm -hmm. knowledge of your system what's the worst possible inputs or something i can give that's to your right. system that's right. and that's where a lot of these things fall down is because they're not designed with that it's the, it's that the mindset. wrong framework yes. right exactly and so it's incredibly difficult yeah. i mean it's a it's a fundamental problem that i think cybersecurity research in general is struggling with. Mm -hmm. And there's also this you know, interesting dichotomy in my mind between software and hardware in the sense that software, you, now, you don't have any physical constraints, right? right like, so we right. kind of think of like building software as building castles in the sky. That's uh -huh. right, yes. You know, you're not constrained by physics or anything. You can build anything that your mind wants. Right. But that means it can do anything. Right. And so yeah. being able to analyze this castle in the sky to say, well, is it structurally sound? It's, what? <laughs> it's built yeah. on a cloud. What exactly. are you talking what about? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. But it, but it doesn't quite work when you've got a dead patient yes. in front of you and you say, but it was such a great idea. Yeah, it's that was 100% agree. And yes. then there's also this aspect of cost. So we do know mm -hmm. how to make you know, high assurance software, mm -hmm. but it's incredibly costly. Right. Yep. So right. The, all of the um, software that's running on airplanes, uh, it has to go through this, I forget the name of it, but there's different levels of... Mm -hmm verification and validation mm -hmm. of software yep. and they say that you know at the lowest level you write so I'm gonna make this up like a thousand lines of code a day uh -huh. and then at the next level up you're writing a hundred lines of code a day mm -hmm. and then it's ten and then it's one yeah. yeah so really you're writing you know everything that gets written is double validated mm -hmm. checked by multiple people multiple teams you have concurrent people doing testing right. which just yeah severely increases the price so yeah. so now here th so this is a great comparison because um, in the, the airline industry, they've been dealing with fly-by-wire and uh, remote systems for mm -hmm. quite a long time mm -hmm. now. And clearly they've developed really solid protocols for making sure that those systems are as secure as possible. Right. So then the question is, to what extent do medical device systems match what we see in the, in the aviation in industry? Aviation, yes. Because mm -hmm. you would imagine the sort of liability is going to be similar. Okay, you've got one person rather than 200 or so people on an airliner, but you've right. got scale in terms of the number of people. Exactly. Right. You've got one person times 400,000. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, you know, that's a good question. I don't know what the answer is. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know how much crossover there is between the aviation industry and the medical device right. industry in terms of design. I mean, we know that for crowd management, Disney is everywhere, right? We know that every, like, that is the standard across all contexts is, you know, how Disney manages a crowd. Um, but I don't know yeah. whether the aviation software standard is the same standard that... I think that would be... That, yeah. I, so I, I would be surprised if it is. Although I would be too. there may be international standards that are common across there them. Are certainly, be, there are certainly... There are international standards, but... Mm -hmm. Could it have know. a difference in the regulatory agencies, the FAA versus the FDA? Well, so, so sure. the regulatory agencies typically don't talk to each other that mm -hmm. much, not not at the operational no, level. No, no, they don't. And the regulatory agencies, I can tell you when. I, so when I did my when I wrote my dissertation, I there were some incredibly kind people in the FDA who spent mm -hmm. some time with me, mm -hmm. and I and I totally value the work that the FDA does, both as a researcher and as a healthcare provider. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I was surprised about was that not only do they not talk between agencies, they don't even talk to the other, you know, FDA right. analogs in other uh, countries. Yes, uh, yeah. 
So, so there are mechanisms around this. So um, when government used to be smart, there used to be interagency working groups that, mm -hmm. that um, exchange information like this. Mm -hmm. And it may be that there is a cybersecurity device working group that, that is connecting these things. If there isn't, um, and if we had somebody smart in the White House or in the Office of Science and Technology <laughs> Policy, uh, the smart thing would be to really quickly get mm -hmm. these agencies that seem to be disparate on the surface, mm -hmm. but are actually dealing with the same sort of problems, mm -hmm. talking to each other. Right. And that includes the FAA, includes the FDA, probably includes the military as well, because they have to deal with these uh, systems yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, they do. Yeah. That sounds to me like big government, Andrew. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> it's but already there, I guess. It's you, just you've, you've, you've already got big government. The question is, can you make true. it efficient? And actually having cross-talk between agencies at a senior level. No, you're right. Efficient. You're right. Yes. Yep. Yep. Well, what do you think, Adam? I think it's a very hard problem. And I, don't, I do not envy the FDA's job. I also appreciate mm -hmm. them as a consumer. Oh, sure. Right? I mean, you know, I think they do a great job making sure that I'm you know, not taking undue, unnecessary risks, right? So mm -hmm. I definitely appreciate that there's somebody out here doing this. And to be honest, you know, this I hope that this letter that they wrote served as a wake-up call to a lot of mm -hmm. communities and people yeah. writing medical devices. And this mm -hmm. you know, also ties back into our long-running conversations about autonomous vehicles. Mm -hmm. Right, right. right. The, you hope that, those, that that software is being developed to similar standards because the outcomes can be similarly negative. That, that's right. right. And it does raise this question of we've got to start thinking about risk and what is acceptable risk in a different way. So, mm -hmm. so the flip side of this is you've got devices out there that are actually saving lives. Mm -hmm. So you For can't sure. take that off the scales. Right. For people that are alive, presumably at the moment, Absolutely. and living um, good lives because of these devices. That's right. So you've got to find that sweet spot where there's always going to be some risk, but what is an acceptable risk so we actually reap those benefits? That's right. So I guess coming back to the FDA um, and, you know, my original question that, that I asked us here to talk about today was, is, is it reasonable for the FDA to expect companies to stay ahead of every cybersecurity threat, knowing that these are human systems mm -hmm. and because they are designed by humans, there are going to be flaws and holes in them. And we just understand that as, I mean, that's the way it is. So is it fair for the FDA to expect companies to stay ahead of that or maybe is what the FDA's approach was in their letter saying you didn't follow this procedure you did not do your due diligence from a procedural standpoint and maybe not focusing on the you have to stay ahead of all of the potential cybersecurity risks maybe that's reasonable what do you think yeah so I definitely agree I, I think it's it's my initial instinct is it's probably not reasonable to force all of these companies, you know, or to take it the other way, punish them mm -hmm. for not keeping up to date on every cutting edge latest attack. You know, like you said, these are humans developing advices. There are going to be problems. Mm -hmm. But I think what is fair to do is to say, okay, how did you respond to that? Mm -hmm. Because I think that was one of the other issues they brought up in this letter was actually your response didn't even follow your own procedures. Uh -huh for going through and responding to incidences. And they said also they didn't do root cause analysis to find out why this vulnerability was introduced yeah. right. in the first place. Right? Which is crazy. Isn't that like the first yes. week of business school? I mean, well, that's the, yeah. 
I don't know. That would be my first instinct as an engineer, right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. You need to get down to what was the core problem so we can put procedures in place so it never right. happens again. So should there, now one but of the wait, things, I, oh, sorry, sorry I, go ahead. I was going to, uh, so I agree that, so like after something happens, right, mm -hmm. I think it makes sense for them to look at things, but I do think that they can, they can and should be in the business of establishing a baseline. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Because I have in my mind what is basis, basic competency when creating a device such as this. Right. Right. And if it's something that I would expect your standard website to use, mm -hmm. then it definitely makes sense that that would apply to a medical device. Okay. Yep. And similarly, I'm, I'm thinking and I'm trying to draw a parallel in my mind to the credit card industry actually voluntarily created uh, PCI is the name of their industry consortium okay and they created guidelines for if you want to touch credit card data you need to do these 10 guidelines yeah. okay and one of them is yearly you get um, you hire penetration testers to test your network and then you go through and you fix all the vulnerabilities they found mm -hmm. so that was it's not a government agency thing it is the credit card industries doing this and sure. saying if you want to take and touch credit card data you have to do this okay so I think it could make sense for the FDA to think about those things and mm -hmm. say hey if you're going to be making a medical device we expect basic competency mm -hmm. in these things and maybe if the FDA has a hand in setting up um, what that competency right. is rather than referring each company out to the pro policies and procedures that the company has designed right. and these exactly. proprietary yes. yeah. yeah then okay then that at least is a usable guidance that's right, right? so so if you look at the the, the remit of the FDA I, mm -hmm. there are there are a number of things that come out of this one is that the process is an incredibly powerful yes. tool mm -hmm. um, for, for regulation uh, the second is sort of where should be the onus of responsibility be? Mm -hmm. Should it be on the companies to get it right or should it be on the FDA to ensure they get it right? So right. if you look at other things they regulate, mm -hmm. if you're looking at cosmetics or dietary supplements mm -hmm. or even a lot of food ingredients, the onus is on the company to get it right. Mm -hmm. And if they get it wrong, they're liable. Right. Other areas such as drug development, most of the onus lies on the FDA mm -hmm. to stage gate things and say you can't do something unless you sort of followed our roles to a much greater extent with, with other things. So Definitely. somebody at some point has got to make the decision with cyber systems whether it's the company mm -hmm. that is responsible for getting it right or the FDA are going to take more responsibility. Well, and I would just clarify and say maybe, I don't know if the FDA takes responsibility for getting it right, but the FDA right. is like the certification body. Right, right? But, but so what I'm thinking is, I so for instance with um, generally regarded as say food ingredients, mm -hmm. uh, the FDA say as a company, go and do the right thing. If something goes wrong and you didn't do the right uh -huh. thing, we will come down on you, but it's yeah. up to you to decide. Mm. Yeah. With with drugs, it's not. The FDA uh, really controls the process at That's a much true. finer detail. But the other thing that that raises is where is the cyber competency in the FDA? If they're gonna be making mm -hmm. any decisions, they've got to have a high level of competency. And that traditionally right. hasn't been part of the That's agency. right. It traditionally has not been part of the agency. Mm -hmm. What I know, which is limited because I don't, you know, live at the FDA, um, is that this is an area that they recognize they need to grow that competency. Mm, yeah. And I think like every other segment of the government, um, recognizing that we need to grow these competencies and it, somehow it like caught us unawares. Yeah. It's also the same thing within healthcare delivery systems and device mm -hmm. manufacturers. 
there's this recognition that we have to have cybersecurity competency. We we thought we just needed an IT guy to right, you know right. make the email go and right. then to make the electronic medical record go. But now all of a sudden we need a the IT guy needs to be the cybersecurity expert. There's a real problem with that because there's a whole bunch of companies, Rudy Giuliani's included, that says that they're cybersecurity experts right. when they are demonstrating not even basic competencies you know, that Adam's undergrad. So, so I would go one step further, and it's obviously a, a day for recommendations to the government. Mm -hmm. um, but at the moment, um, you have divisions in FDA that deal with stuff that goes into your body, which is mm -hmm. a, a chemical-based drug. Drugs and biologics, things. yep. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so you've got drugs, you've got biologics, you've got divisions that deal with medical devices, yep. and then you've got the, the crossover stuff where they work out whether it fits in the, the medical device bucket mm -hmm. or the drugs bucket, which is a bit of a mess. Well, but, yeah. But I would argue that they really need to be considering um, cyber-connected or cyber-relevant systems mm -hmm. as a separate category. They, yeah. they really need a division of cyber whatever, mm -hmm. because this is only going to expand. I think we've only seen the beginning in yes. terms right. of implantable devices that are connected. Now you're going to be able to get those devices which are connected in a very sophisticated way. Mm -hmm. You're going to get things that look a little bit like a drug, a little bit like mm -hmm. a device, but also connected as well. So yep. this is That's all right. going to expand. And I think now is probably the time for them to begin to think about connected devices or integrated technologies mm -hmm. as a new class mm -hmm. of things which are relevant to our health. I think that's right, because if we've learned anything from Adam Dupay ever, uh -oh. there are many things <laughs> we've learned. But the first thing, I would say the zeroth order principle, mm -hmm. right, is that you have to design security in from the beginning. Yes, absolutely. So FDA, you have to design security in from the beginning. And this makes sense, especially, I mean, it, it, I see this as an instance of kind of software eating the world and mm -hmm. the fact that people are are trying to claim that computing is going to be the fourth pillar of science if right. it's not already. If mm -hmm. you think about how much of physics happens with computers, it's right. almost yes. all of it now. Yep. Yeah. Right? And so this is, I think, another instance of software and computing encroaching into areas, but it brings with it this risk of cybersecurity that mm -hmm. the people who are tasked with keeping us safe and making sure these devices actually work as intended don't have the expertise to deal with. Yep. All right, well, we talked a lot about this today, longer than usual, and there's a lot more to say, but we'll have to do that next time. We like right. talking. We so. do like talking. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks, Eva. For more where that came from, including our undergraduate and graduate programs, check out the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at sfis.asu.edu. Future Out Loud is produced with the support of the School for the Future of Innovation in Society and the Risk Innovation Lab at Arizona State University. Mark Van Hare created our music. Ana Lopez is our production assistant. Please subscribe to Future Out Loud on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please tell your friends and let us know what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Future Out Loud.